0: Here we are. I don't know if I was complimented or insulted by my wife. I'm still trying to work it out. Anybody help me? Which one? Complimented. I you know, complimented. It was a little bit in the middle, but very good. All right. Well, we are in uh, week two of Transformed, and uh, we're working through the book of Romans, uh, and I uh, have fun doing it. Uh, the whole point of doing a series like this is we really get to the heart of how Paul, who wrote Romans, wanted us to, to do the journey. I said last week, I'll just say it again, in case you're not somebody that would say, I have faith, um, I'm on my own journey, you're reading a great book. You're reading a book written by a guy who was a sceptic himself, more than a sceptic. He was a real critic of Christianity, but he had an incredible transformation. But because of that, I think Paul writes Romans in a way that helps us uh, journey, uh, the, the the journey that we're on ourselves. He writes it in a way to sort of explain what the faith is all about, because he understands that plenty of people have questions. So stick with us on this journey. Uh, my incredibly quick summary of last week. It would be worth podcasting last week's episode if you want to catch up. You can get all the episodes via our church app. But my summary would be this: one we are in trouble and deep down we know it we're in trouble and we know it and number two the way that we deal with the trouble that we know we're in is three ways one we just say hey I'm just gonna live for myself I'm gonna reject God and I'm gonna worship things that I want to worship and that can be just about any category of thing careers uh, very sinful things all sorts of things Uh, two we say well I'm a good person, I'm a moral person so I'll work my way back to God and and three very closely related to it is I'm a religious person and we find all sorts of different religions as a way of finding our way back to God but we landed on Paul's conclusion that uh, all of us are lost but there's a righteousness of God that has been given the first time in history that a righteousness from God has been given for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and then a common theme, all throughout Romans, Paul is beseeching the Romans and therefore us today to take a hold of this beautiful, beautiful thing called the gospel. He's essentially saying, if only you knew what you had, what you have, if you open your eyes, if you see it, if you take a hold of it, if you grab it and apply it to your life, you'll be different people. You know, a great tragedy in life is not knowing that we have treasure right in front of us. What is yours? So to get our brain into gear this morning, I thought we'd just really play on this theme. This is what we've called the message today. Do you know what is yours? And uh, I want you to try and do a journey with me and work out uh, is the thing that I'm putting on the screen trash or treasure, okay? Trash or treasure is the game. Now, the way we're going to play it is... um, Treasure, thumbs up, all right? Trash, thumbs down. Treasure, thumbs up, trash, thumbs down. Everyone have a practice? Treasure, trash, trash. okay? It was really hard, wasn't it? Yeah, you're like, oh, I didn't need to practice that. Fair enough. All right, next thing. Let, let's go to the first one. So your job is to say, is this trash or treasure? Let's have a look. What do you think? So we ne- I need to get a consensus because we're going to decide... What do we think? We've got mainly treasure, I would say, out there. We've got the treasure, the yes sound effect. The tre- there it is, it is. It was treasure, beautiful. Could you say, give yourselves a pat on the back. This is worth millions. Did you know this painting was found in a couple's house? They didn't know that it was in their house and it was worth millions. And one day somebody went... We should get that valued and our lives change, right? They had a treasure, they didn't know about it. Let's have a look at the next one. All right, trash or treasure? Fingers, let give us a look. Oh, there's a lot of suspicious people out there. We've got a few treasures. I think we're going to go with uh, trash, which is also correct. It's trash, very good. Fake coins, you can buy them in an online store. So, very good. What about this one here? Some of you will recognise this. Trash or treasure? Trash or treasure? Some people are not too sure what are they talking about. Got some trash out there. Got some treasure. uh, Treasure is correct. Did you know that painting, that picture was sold for $1 million? It's a picture of a potato. Not even the potato. The picture of the potato was sold for $1 million. So apparently it's treasure. Alright, have a look at this one. What do you think? On a refrigerator? What do we got? Oh, we've got some lots of treasures out there. Treasure everywhere. How do you know that? That's annoying. I thought I'd get you for sure. It's treasure. Do you know that picture there is called Ribs Ribs and it was sold for $5.16 million. $5.16 million. I would have said trash. I'm pretty sure my daughter drew that. Uh, it's on our fridge at home. million. So everybody, go and get those kids' pictures that you've stuck in the bin. Post them online. All right, let's have another look at this one. Trash or treasure? What do you think? Trash or treasure? I don't know. I'm looking. What's the majority here? All right. You're wrong. It's not treasure. It's... It uh, it was found on my fridge at home, and it's worth nothing. (laughs) Except for love, um, it touches my heart every day that I see it. Um, And here's the last one, a comic book. What do you think, trash or treasure? Oh, you're all so smart, correct. It's uh, treasure. This was found in the wall of a house. Somebody didn't know that they had it. It sold for $175,000, just a little comic book. And this is the aim of Paul, right? To help us understand that there's treasure in our midst. Do you realise what you've got? Is what Paul is trying to say to everybody. And if we're going to um, follow along in scripture today, you can open up your Bibles to Romans 3. And I'm going to read from Romans 3.21. and am going to go through to about 26 is the first passage. So today we're going to go from 3.21 to 5.21. And we're going to just... Really, skip over the top of things. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So let's just get some terms out of the way which are really important. A big important term is the word justification. Justification is the word dikaiosina, which uh, is a, obviously a Greek word. And what that means, it's the same word as righteousness, which is interesting. So whenever you see the word justification, the translators could have put righteousness and vice versa. So in a way, justification is a type of righteousness. It's a validating performance record. It's an A grade when, when you don't deserve an A grade, but you get and a grade here's the problem we touched on this last week this is why justification came into being Um, God's wrath is against evil now don't forget that God is not vindictive it's not a wrath like an angry God that he's up there in heaven wanting to pound us it's a part of his nature his nature says I must deal with evil to to roll his eyes on it or just sort of push it away and say it doesn't matter would contradict who God is he must deal with evil but what else do we know to be true of God on the other side of the coin God is faithful and loving and quick to forgive and um, he has mercy and he and he sees us as his children so we have a problem here we have a God that is just and must deal with evil And we have a God that is loving and quick to forgive willing to forgive but he must judge our sin and how does he do that he does it through justification god's wrath against evil is delivered his judgment is complete justice is dealt but he doesn't set it aside or ignore it instead he turns it on himself and these passages explain what happens there in verse 24 it says that a ransom is paid That's a part of justification in the form of his blood. He bought us at a price so that we're free. Uh, Verse 25 talks about atonement. Some versions say propitiation. What is that all about? It's like a turning of everything that would come against and turning away of the wrath of uh, God from us onto Jesus. He willingly took it on our behalf. And the wonder of it all is that on the cross in the same stroke, His justice and his love are satisfied. And we're now justified. We're given a perfect record. I remember even as a young uh, kid, my father saying this great phrase. He'd say, justification is just as if you had never sinned. Made sense to me then. It's just as if you had never sinned. Somebody actually emailed me during the weekend. Got a bit confused out of last week's message they said so we stand before God is that going to be a terrible day well for some maybe but for us who have faith in Christ it'll be just as if we've never sinned and that's what he'll see spotless and he'll uh, gladly give us the past mark just as if we've never sinned that's justification on top of that when we understand it we're going to touch on it quickly at the end today but It gives us peace, hope and joy. Something to grab a hold of in this lifetime right now. And that is why justification is better than a then go painting and it's better than some priceless comic book. It's comic book. It's ours for the taking and the receiving. Right, so how do we receive it? Paul's telling us how good it is. How do we receive it? Well, interestingly, we've got to look at what Paul does Paul does a bit of a journey and he stops here all of a sudden and he says in verse 27, he says, I oh, just, before you do anything, I want to talk about what you don't do to get justification. And it's Romans three twenty-seven, twenty-eight. 28. It says this, where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He's basically saying, hey, everybody, kids, listen up. You will not get this through works of law. Now we're going to realize what Paul's doing here. He's stopping. He wants to reinforce a very important point because he knows that humanity has a problem. We constantly lean back into works of of law. And the way he talks about that is boasting. Now boasting is the external form of the internal condition of pride. Last week we talked about all the junk that sin brings onto us, the corruption, how it messes it up, and that all goes back to the original sin of pride. Pride is on the inside and boasting is pride coming out. It's a reliance on ourselves. So, in the opposite sense, God does His justifying work outside of us. God put Christ to death. You raised Him from the dead without you or me so that I can't boast. That's what He did. You can't say, I helped pay that ransom. I was a part of it. I helped pay the ransom. I helped. I did my bit in turning the wrath of God away. From me and everybody else. Or I, I, I helped Jesus raise from the dead. Was anybody alive when Jesus was risen from the dead? Not one person in this place. It's impossible. You weren't even alive. You weren't even born yet. You had nothing to do with it. So that's why it's apart from works of the law. So what is a work of the law? Listen carefully. A work of the law is anything. Anything, anything, anything that points to the fact That we have done something to get ourselves out of the trouble that we're in, or something that we might boast about. Now, you might say to me, Oh, Carl, you know, I'm not into the works of the law. I I didn't kill a goat this week, you know. Anybody here do some ceremonial washing this week or anything like that? But we do works of the law all the time, and this is a major problem in our modern day world really hear me on this is a major problem but we feel like we've got to go back and do works of the law to sort ourselves out that somehow we've got to do something our hearts constantly want to come back to pride to saying it's got to be about me this is how we do it when you're driving away from a coffee with a friend and you know that you've been maligning someone or gossiping you know it's an issue in your life and you just have that Ding in your mind. I just ah, I did it again. What do you do? Do you feel condemned and guilty in that moment? Do you tell God that you're going to shape up, you're going to fix it, God? Do you promise to change your way so that God will be pleased with you? I mean, really, ask yourself: Do I do that? Do I do I try and fix myself? But see, that would be a work of the law. Or what about you falling in an area, maybe lust in your life? You say, I'm going to make myself pure. God, I, I am, I'm dealing with this. I'm going to read this Bible all week. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And you know what the tragedy is? You might get to the end of the week. You might have read your Bible all week and fasted and prayed. And inside, there's just a little bit of boasting going on. I did it. I was a part of it. I'm, I'm pure before God. It's a work of the law. Or maybe another one would be, say, church attendance. And you, th- you know God wants you to join together. With other believers and church attendants, miss church for ages. Just like run them back, and I will not miss church every day for the next month. Kids, we're going to church every day for the next month. And deep down inside you, there's the, the real question being asked: Is God? I'm going to be good enough for you. I'm going to. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to show you that I'm okay. It's a work of the law. That stuff. It smacks of boasting anything in you that would boast before God about how good you are is a work of the law and Paul knows it trips us up so that's why he inserts it in here and you might ask by the way probably are asking well, well does anything go and we can actually deal with that more next week that's a great question is there anything allowed aren't we supposed to stop gossip deal with last come to church sure You should also pray and read the Bible and fast and do anything else God tells you to do. But it's a great saying in our faith that says we've got to do the first things first. This whole series is about transformation. Paul can't wait to get into the rest of Romans where he tells us about change and transformation. But he must get things right first up. He must deal harshly with the mistakes that we make as humanity because he knows if we don't we'll cycle around forever saved by grace but then somehow trying to sort ourselves out to fix ourselves up so that we'll be acceptable before God listen to Charles Finney an 18th century preacher on this subject he says this is true of multitudes of Christians who are inquiring how to overcome the world the flesh and the devil They put forth efforts in this direction and that and patch up their righteousness on one side and make a rent on the other. Thus they spend years running around in a circle and making dams of sand across the current of their own corruptions. They will fast and pray and read and struggle and outwardly reform and thus endeavour to obtain grace. And this is all vain and wrong. So this is why Paul here is dealing with with works of law if we choose any way of connecting our salvation in any means that enables you to boast say God I'm okay I can be in church today I've had a good week anything like that it's a work of law and Paul deals with it but he also tells us how do we get it and so let's talk about this beautiful thing called faith justification by faith Chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, all hang on this, reinforce this central, central theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are justified by faith. Saying, God, I come to you first. I come before you a sinner. I believe in you. I've got faith in you. Charles Finney finishes the quote. He says, the great and fundamental sin, which is the foundation of all other sin, is unbelief. The first thing is to give that up. There is no breaking off from one sin without this. So what is faith? Uh, It's an interesting word to define. Maybe a help is a combination of words. Belief, trust, assurance in or on, confidence in. These things would be faith. But let's get a little bit more specific about faith. Sometimes we make faith alone the hero. If we jump back into the beginning of you know that passage we were just in, no fewer than three times do we see Jesus Christ as the subject of our faith. This is really important. It's not just faith. In fact, if I spoke to many friends or people on the streets, they'd tell you all the time, it's a good thing to have faith, girl. You should believe. I love belief. I love faith. They they might tell me, I have faith in an energy source. And I've got a friend who's a Buddhist, has faith in Buddha. Um, there's all sorts of things in this world you can have faith faith belief it's a beautiful thing to have the trouble is Paul would disagree Paul says your faith must be on somebody and that person is the person of Jesus Christ he says the object of your faith is what matters you know if I had faith that I could stand on the edge of this stage here and put feathers on my arms All over me beautiful feathers and I had strong faith that I could jump off and fly around this auditorium tell me what would happen (laughs) there'd be a lot of things happening including an eldership meeting very quickly after the conclusion of the service right it's it'd be strong faith but it amounts to nothing you know there's people running around the world at the moment killing innocent people thinking that if they do that have faith that if they do that in heaven they'll be met with a harem of, of virgins sincere faith sincerely wrong it's the object of our faith that matters you know the inverse is true what if i have a weak faith petrified of flying i don't have a whole lot of faith at all in getting on that airplane i got hardly any faith it's shaky faith and i sit on that plane and i worry and i'm nervous and i put my, make my suit belt tighter and i'm like talking to the person next to me but here's the truth I might fly all the way to the US, but I'll land safely. Why? Because that plane was capable of doing what it was meant to do. The object of my faith was okay, was the point. So it isn't the state of your faith that matters, it's the object of your faith that matters. Now this is important because you think that if faith itself saves, you'll start getting worried about the state of your faith. You'll say to the person next to you, Have you got a strong faith? Well, oh, I don't know. What's a strong faith? I don't know either. You can be all nervous about what, what level of faith do I need? And the, the flip is true. If you go through a really difficult season in your life, and your faith wavers, and maybe you, incredible suffering and trouble, and things are coming against you, and you know, God, I don't even know if you're there. My faith is weak. I don't know. Am I saved now? The state of your faith is not the point, Paul is. Saying it's Jesus Christ that is the point. And he goes on and he he explains this. You get a great hint in verse 24. He says, But we receive it freely. So our faith is received freely like a gift. It's not hard to do, whether you're timid or powerful. You receive it as a gift. Imagine I find out the Queen of England wants to give me her crown jewels. Can you imagine that? Have I told you before I've got this fantasy in my life that one day I'm gonna get a letter in the mail and it's gonna be crazy, like just something incredible, like I'm actually second in line for the throne of, of England or something like that. Anybody else got that sort of, and every now and again I'll say to Jess, it'll be a strange looking letter, right? It'll be in a funny pack envelope or something, or frilly, like this is the letter. This is the one, I'm really, I don't know, James Packer's son or something, I don't know. That would be really weird, but you know. And I open up the letter and it's from the Reader's Digest or something like that, right? So It's got nothing to do with it, but I get, I get a letter in the mail and this one is the one. Dear Carl, I want to give you the crown jewels from the Queen, you know. Imagine that. And I walk up to the Queen and there's a big ceremony and the world's cameras are there and I take the jewels. I'm telling you, there is so much that is weird about all that, but people wouldn't be amazed at the amazing faith I had to receive the gift, would they? What would they be amazed at? Somebody tell me. But I got the gift, right? Why did he deserve it? And two, they'd wonder at the generosity and grace of the Queen. Does it sound a bit like grace to you? Sound a bit like the salvation gift that God gives? The gift was freely given. I may have doubted that the Queen would do it. I might have been shaky. My faith might not have been strong, but it's not the point. My faith really needs to just amount to the fact that I turn up and I believe that the Queen will do what she says she's going to do, that she's a person of her word, that she'll give me what she's promised. My faith is in her. If I trust her, it'll be okay. I put my hands out to receive and I receive. My part is small. No one's talking about my part. Everybody's talking about what the queen did and the gift that she gave. And that is a picture of faith. Simply go to God with a belief that he is good. Anybody, go to God with a belief that he's good. That he's freely given Jesus Christ and that he did a finished work on the cross as verse 25 says and then we receive the truth into our lives utterly letting go of my strength and and trusting in god that's faith shaky or strong that's faith martin lloyd jones sums it up he says the man who has faith is the man who no longer looks at himself and no and is no longer looking at himself he no longer looks at anything he once was he does not look at what he is now he does not look at what he hopes to be he looks entirely at the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work and he rests on that alone so faith isn't a feeling although you might have feelings faith itself is not a feeling it's a decision to trust and that is why any single person here today can receive the gift of faith and justification by simply taking God at his word it's true that jesus died for me it's true that he took my sin i can be justified you can receive by that statement that trust in god all right so we're moving on and let's find our way into chapter four you know paul's reference point all of chapter four i've heard multiple like multi-week sermons on chapter four i'm going to do it in about 20 seconds but, but chapter 4 is all about Abraham. It's essentially Paul's speaking to the Jews in the crowd. And he's saying, listen, you think, you think Abraham did it by works of law? You think Abraham sorted out his life? Abraham is exactly the same. Abraham was saved by faith. That was hard hitting for the Jews to hear. But he reminds them that it was the same for them. It's the same for us. Ultimately, it's about faith. But I really want to focus in on Romans 4.20. Just one passage there. It says, Abraham did not waver in faith, sorry, in unbelief about the promises of God. Well, that is a strange scripture in the middle there. If you know anything about the Bible, Abraham didn't waver. Abraham didn't waver. Abraham who gave his wife into a harem, right? Didn't, didn't, didn't waver. Abraham who doubted God, seemingly all the time and 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 was messed up about what is going on Abraham that tried to make things happen in his own strength at first you'd be like what is going on here the point is that Abraham did not always live out his faith his obedience was not always perfect his trust fluctuated but at the end of the day his faith never extinguished he hung on to God's promises, even as it moved back and forth in his own, through his own flaws and failings. And as he did so, it says in verse 20 that he was strengthened in his faith. He was able to look at his mistakes and say, this reminds me, oh, what a mistake. Why, what a, what a, who, why did I do that? this reminds me I trust God and God alone I have no ability in myself to make this happen when will I learn and he turned to trust God and Paul then says his faith didn't waver see when it comes to this justification the way God sees it you either have it or you don't a little is enough now don't get me wrong here more faith is better It will simplify your life. It'll avoid a whole lot of problems and worry and stress. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have more faith. But the fact is our faith life is a whole journey of strengthening our faith. I actually really felt prompted to say this this morning, that there are some here who are disappointed with your journey of faith. You look back on your life and you think, I've wavered, I've fallen away at times, I've come back. I've struggled, I've doubted God, I've questioned God. There's sin that easily entangles me and messes me up. I've wondered. Hey look, Abraham is called the father of faith. He was a coward at times, a doubter. He made mistakes. Yet he was commended. Our life is a life of growing in our faith pushing through our failings persevering in the difficulties holding on to the promises of God and if your faith looks messy like this i um, as messy as Abraham's then as it says in verse 24 it will be credited to you as righteousness I mean this is the wonder of the gospel what the messed up faith that I've got how to look at Abraham and it will be credited to you as righteousness you hear You're holding on. You're trusting God. So we know what justification is. We know how to get it. We know how we don't get it. But let's finish with what justification brings us. You know what makes a difference to how we live now? This release, this knowledge, nothing I can do. And Paul jumps into chapter 5 and he really wraps it up by saying, I just want to tell you some of the things that justification, that the gospel... Uh, does for us Romans 5 and maybe about 1 to 4 therefore since we've been justified through faith we have peace that that's one with God our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand and we boast in the hope that's one of the glory of God not only so but we also glory in in our sufferings. Now, some translations there say we rejoice in our sufferings. I'd say joy is another one. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Peace, hope, and joy. You know, first one, just quickly, peace, it's peace with God. It's not it's it's a peace uh, with God. Uh, This isn't the peace of God. Philippians 4 tells us we do get a peace of God. That's definitely true. But this one is talking about the fact that we were once enemies of God, separated from God, distant from God. Now we have peace with God. Nothing can take that away. We have peace with God. Not my sin, not my messed up state, not the fact that I gave up church for six months because I ticked at somebody. No, you have peace with God. Once we we're an enemy of God and now we're at peace. The second one is the hope of the glory of God. You know the word for hope here, we, we have this sort of vague word for hope. We sort of think it's maybe something that will happen. Really it's a stronger conviction. It's a knowing that God is good. It's the word elpis in, in the Greek. It's a, it's a certainty about who God is. Now, peace and hope are wonderful things, but Paul sort of ends in this verse in chapter 3. He says, we will glory in our sufferings. You know, joy in our sufferings, glory, rejoice in. Joy in our sufferings is a great sign of a person that really understands the gospel in their life. You know, it's unique to Christianity because it doesn't depend in any way on our circumstances or your performance when you give your heart to any God other than God, you'll be disappointed at the end of the day. You'll understand that your happiness at best was brittle and at worst it'll, it'll turn on you. But the gospel tells us that as we serve God, uh, that as we serve a God that doesn't change and we find our joy in knowing him and so our joy remains in our sorrow Now an interesting slant here, and this is really important and a telltale sign that you haven't yet nailed it. If you don't understand justification, you can think one of two things. Number one, that your suffering is because of you and your sin. I reckon even as I said that, somebody was like, what? You can think that the suffering you're going through is because you have done something wrong. Justification says that is not now there is a natural consequence you rob a bank you're going to go to jail everyone understands that but it's that deeper thing of I'm sick I must be a sinner God must be mad he saw what happened two weeks ago all right number two that your suffering earns you something so I'm really going through a really difficult time it must mean that God is going to give me a good time at some point he owes me something so we even need to process our suffering through the gospel. Because if you don't, you become proud. Look at what I'm going through and how well I'm handling it and God owes me. Or you become cynical if you don't see it happening as you expect or mad at God. So when we understand justification, we understand that we rejoice in our sufferings because in the end as verse 3 says it causes us to persevere that word persevere means be single-minded means we become single-minded our suffering we can actually rejoice in them not glad that we're having these things God is not glad about the difficulties but at least it causes me to persevere and come back to what I know is certain God is certain God loves me. How do I know this? He died for me. There is nothing I can do about that. I stand whole before him and our suffering causes us to to turn our back on all of the periphery, the circumstances, the things we might have been putting our hope in. And Paul says it does a beautiful work in us if we allow it. We come back and we start to focus again in on Jesus and who he is and how great he is and how, how much he loves me. And that's what the gospel does for us deep within us. So, do you know what is yours? This wonderful thing called the gospel. This justification that is yours. Do you allow it to release peace, joy and hope into your life? There's an old hymn that goes like this. Well may the accuser roar of sins I have done. I know them all and a thousand more. Jehovah knoweth none. You know, the the scriptures are full of Paul and the other writers speaking to Christians like us, calling us back to hold on to the truth that you've got. It's like you've got this beautiful thing in the wall of your house, you didn't know it. But our heart drifts away. And this morning, I just encourage us all afresh, just remind your own heart. Ah, this is beautiful. Nothing can go wrong in your life, really. I mean, there are circumstances and troubles and trials and sadness. But at the end of the day, I'm right with God. He loves me. The God in heaven died for me. I can't lose it. There's nothing I can do to make it happen. He can't love me any more than he loves me at this moment. And so I'll take that peace and that joy and that hope and carry it with me. I mentioned earlier, you know, that anybody can receive this beautiful gift simply by faith. And that just takes receiving. And if you're here today, there's not a lot of fanfare about it, but I'd love to pray with you. Today, if you'd say, I've never received that gift, I didn't know. But I just had to receive it. We'd pray for you that you accept Jesus Christ and you can receive this wonderful gift of the gospel justification. Let's pray together. Jesus, just we just remind ourselves again of this beautiful truth in our life, and we God, we pray that we'd hold on to it and we repent ourselves of the little bits of conviction that your spirit has done, even as we've shared the word this morning. But, you know, God, we pray that it causes us to run to you, to your grace and your wonder and your love. And that things just fall off even in these moments. God, I pray for people right now that have condemned themselves for inadequacy and for poor performance and judge themselves so harshly. God I pray that right now God again by your spirit you'd remind them it was never about them and always about you and there would be a joy that would envelop their heart and their soul and Lord I pray for those that are suffering right now Lord I know that you bring comfort and grace to those people that you're not happy about suffering but God I pray that even through that you'd cause their heart just to come back to you and they would hold on to the richness of knowing you and who you are and we thank you God again for this beautiful truth justification and your work on the cross amen amen well I just make that call again if you would like prayer this morning you've never known Jesus Christ we'd love to pray for you and of course we'll pray for anybody else requires it down the front here otherwise please enjoy a cup of coffee over in, our, in the cafe together. Bless you.